Zaroski, and you're listening to Tomahawk Roundup. All right, so what is going on, guys? This is Frank Zaroski here with the Tomahawk Roundup, and I am joined by a former Chicago Blackhawk member that a lot of people should know, and after today, you're going to know him better, Steve Dubinsky. Steve, how are you today? I'm good, Frank. How are you? Really excited to have you on uh, the Tomahawk Roundup. Just to, just to, It's always great to get former Chicago Blackhawks on. So obviously, going back to your collegiate career, what was the mindset for you walking onto Clarkson University, and how did you use your grit and skill to not only make the roster, but eventually captain it? I was playing in a league at the time that was really not recruited very heavily by colleges. So I took it upon myself to basically sit down and I think I wrote probably at the time 40 plus handwritten letters to Division One coaches. Wow. And, you know, I got a few responses, but nothing, you know, to the point where I knew that I had some interest from some of the bigger schools and, and really at the time I really no one really knew about college it was obviously things have changed a lot today but so I you know at the time uh, one of my or my teammates was Hugo Belanger who went to Clarkson with me they they had offered him a scholarship so they were coming to watch him and uh, there happened to be a gentleman by the name of Dave Capione who did some scouting for Clarkson who came and watched one of these games and he went back and told them that, hey, you know, this is a kid that we might want to look at. So I heard from Mark Morris and George Roll, and they said, you know, to be honest, we'll come watch. We don't have any money to give you for to come and play here, but, you know, if you want to come and walk on at Clarkson and, you know, be part of the team without any guarantees of, of playing a single game, you know, we'll help you with the uh, – administration and the, the process of, you know, of um, applying for the school. And, you know, I went to my parents and I said, hey, you know, I really, really feel that this is something I want to do. We ended up going on a recruiting visit. And, you know, as soon as I was there and saw, at the time, Walker Arena was one of the most storied college rinks in the country. Sure. Small barn. The band was incredible. You know, teams were scared to come in and I left Potsdam, New York on that, that night. And I said to my parents, this is something I really want to give a try to. And they said, you know, we'll give you the opportunity, you know, at the time schooling in the U S was probably half a third of what it is now, but it was still expensive back in, uh, you know, 1989. So, you know, I went to school and, you know, worked really hard and made the team. And by the time, probably Christmas time of that year, January, I was getting some NHL interest. And then in June of 1990, I was drafted by the Blackhawks. Yeah, and that's and that's so incredible. Just using your persistence and your grit to say, you know what, they they're giving you they're giving you an opportunity, and we're going to take it. We're going to use every ounce of it. Even though there's nothing guaranteed, you might not play a game. You're like, I love what I'm doing so much. I want to just keep doing it. Yeah, and I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I really, you know, I was really unsure of where I, kind of what type of player, how good I was playing in Quebec. And, you know, Quebec Major Junior was obviously the major route at the time for the Quebec kids. And I 
really didn't want to go that route. And, uh, you know, it really worked out. I mean, I was a four-sport athlete growing up until I was probably about 15. So I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I really didn't specialize in anything until I probably the summer before I went to school where I really started to focus on my hockey. And from then on, it's, uh, you know, the story unfolded. And, you know, and that's kind of the, a little bit in a nutshell, how I ended up at Clarkson. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Kind of unique. You know, I think, I think today, just, you know, being in the world that I live in with my tournaments and showcases and having my boys playing and what my oldest son coaching in the North American League, that doesn't happen anymore. There's too much exposure for these boys at young age groups. I mean, I can tell you right now, we have we have a series of tournaments that run from basically, you know, U11 all the way till U16. And, you know, these kids are all the top players in the country and even the continent because we have Canadian teams coming. So there's really no secrets anymore. And that's, and that's, that's, again, that's how the game has changed so much over the decades. Oh, correct. I mean, it is, you know, it's almost to the point where there's, where there's almost too much exposure. And I think that, um, you know, it provides a platform to, to give kids a lot more opportunities to succeed. But I also think there's a lot of opportunities where, you know, there, there's a misconception of how really difficult it is to play junior hockey and then college hockey and then pro is, you know, is just a totally different uh, mindset. Yeah, sure. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really changed a lot. I think there's a lot of, a lot of great players who, you know, just to get to play college hockey is, 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 is really you know, something that's really a great goal for players. And that that is such a great goal. But shifting to the professional career of yours, Steve, you know, your first year with the Blackhawks was the last year of the old Chicago Stadium. For our younger listeners like myself who were not around for the old Chicago Barn, what was it like playing there? You know, I watched some of these, uh, there's a couple of Twitter accounts, uh, maybe Remember the Roar and Vintage Hawks, and I, I literally... I love those clips because, you know, I'll never forget. I was on the ice for the last game, regular season game, and then the last playoff game ever to be played at the Chicago Stadium. And I remember the roar is probably the the most fitting statement ever made about that building because, you you know, you, the adrenaline was flowing so much during the anthem that literally the last, especially the last game of the year, it was deafening to the point where you could literally feel my bones like shaking from the from how loud and how the building was shaking. Wow. And if and if that's any indication of how much how loud it was, because we know the UC is loud. So just magnifying that by a factor of ten or ten thousand to be the Chicago Stadium. Well, the size of the building, you know, when when the when the old when the stadium was was sitting next to the United Center the United Center is three times the size of the old stadium. So you could imagine 17, 18,000 people in a building that's a third of the size compared to 21,000 in a building that's three times the size. Yeah, the energy and, is and, just... And, and the United Center is, is an amazing place to play. But no 
there's not a single player who got to experience both who would ever tell you that the United Center was louder because it was just the way that the, the stadium was built, really quaint. You know, the, the balconies were almost like hanging over the ice. It was it was definitely a unique experience. Yeah, and as a player and as a fan, which I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up here, so I never got to watch games. But you know, I've talked to a lot of people that just there's nothing like it, and there never will be anything like it. No, and that's and that, again, that remember the roar again. I'm I'm an one birthday, so I wasn't around for the Chicago Stadium. A little dating myself here, but just hearing about it from you, it brings back that. It just it wraps everything together, the acoustics, the people, the energy, the fans, the players, everything wrapped into this small little, this little microcosm of dynamite, if you will. Yes, agreed. It was, and, and honestly, the, I thought the best part about it was at the time, Chicago Stadium, the Boston Garden, like these were legitimately home ice advantage not from the crowd only but the size of the rink and it allowed teams to just play a style of hockey that really you know lent itself to a lot of you know physical games and just a different type because now every you know every rink is 285 a lot of them are brand new and, and it's just a different you know it's a different style of game obviously the game has changed dramatically even since i retired in 2003 the game is a lot more skilled it's faster there's a lot more opportunities for smaller players to get a chance to play and you know i still think playoff hockey today is is very similar to the game that i left in 2003 i don't think the regular season is but playoff hockey is the best hockey ever to yeah. watch as a fan. Yeah. For sure. Oh yeah. I mean, it there's so much more there's so much more at stake. There's so much more energy. There's so much just more tension when you get into the playoff when everything's on the line because you don't know which game is gonna be your last. Exactly. And and I just think that the especially this year, for the last year with there being no fans, the excitement you know, in the U.S., well, Canada was able to get some fans, and I think Toronto will have some fans tonight. But the U.S.-based cities, Colorado, Carolina, Nashville, Vegas, I mean, holy cow, it is a madhouse in those rinks. Yeah, it's it's going to be a madhouse when we get fans back to full capacity at the United Center and just the the energy that... I hope we hear half the energy from the old Chicago Stadium at the United Center when, whenever we get fans back there. In a, sure. Yeah. No, so keeping with your time with the Blackhawks, Steve, how did playing with guys like Chris Chelios, Troy Murray, and so many others in Chicago help you to elevate your game? Well, I think at the time, you know, coming out of college, you know, looking back, like I really... I really played with some special players. You mentioned a few of them. You know, obviously Troy, you know, was more of a leader type. But, I mean, I'm talking Chris Chelios, Jeremy Roenick, Ed Belfour, Tony Amante. I mean, we had some – I'm probably forgetting a few guys. We had some really high-end players. And, you know, you look back and it's like, wow, like, you know, how many opportunities do players get to play with that level of player? Um. You know, 
we had we had we had success. I mean, my first first year we lost in the first round to Toronto. Second year we lost to I think it might have been Vancouver. No, we beat Vancouver. We lost to Detroit, and the event. Detroit was on the run with with the you know the fat the the Russian five, and you know we had great teams, and we used to have a lot of battles with those guys. Uh, pro- probably my probably the best team that I got a chance to play with from a talent perspective was my was my one and only year with the Blues. Chris Pronger, Al McInnes, Doug Waite, Pavel Dimitrov, who's now passed on. He died, and he unfortunately died in that plane crash in Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think of who else there was, but, you know, Tom Barrasso was there that year, obviously towards the end of his career, but, I mean, the list goes on. We, we had a great team, and, and actually, you know, my line mates at the time were Tyson Nash and Reed, and, uh, Reed Lowe, and, you know, we were just a gr- really gritty, hardworking fourth line. There was no expectation for us to score and- because our top two lines were just that good. And that almost alleviates some of the pressure off of you because it allows you to play your style of hockey. And it's like, let the first two lines do their own thing. As the fourth line, we're going to play our way and we're going to play our own style of hockey. It does. It did. It, it actually was, it was, it was great because there wasn't that expectation from the coaching staff that we, if we went out, worked hard, you know, we're physical. I killed a ton of penalties. You know, Joel was, you know, him and Barry Trotz were two of my last two coaches I played for and obviously they've had a ton of success yeah still today so I you know I, I really I, ironically enough I took a lot yeah I took a lot from every coach that I had I really did and I, I've kind I've tried to you know when I was coaching youth hockey and with my own boys I've, I've I always try and you know take the the good and maybe the bad from these guys and try and turn it into something positive because, you know, as a player and, you know, when you're in it, you don't really realize the life lessons that were taught when you're playing. And I think that's, you know, that's, I always say this, that, you know, any, any son or daughter of a former pro player, there's just a different understanding of the game. Yeah. And, 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 and what we lend to our children of, accountability and all those things that are are so important in success especially as a pro athlete you know that'll that'll carry for them whether they're playing hockey or not right it, it helps and i think to... that that is a hundred percent something that most junior college and pro coaches will tell you about former pros kids is that's an intangible that you cannot teach no no you can't you know teach. i look at i look at you know keith kachuk's two boys who i've known since they were six and seven years old. You know, there, there's no secret why those two are the way that they are. No, the, it's it's they inherit all of that. You and grow up in it, and you just you just have it. Yeah, it's it's you can't describe it with words. It's just nope. that it factor. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, so how was it for you transitioning between the IHL and the NHL, and what were some of the differences between the two leagues? You know what, at the time, ironically enough, like the IHL was kind of like a much older league, but the Blackhawks had their farm team was in Indy, along with a few other teams, but a lot of the teams in the IHL were independent. The Wolves, I mean, just as an example, like, you know, they, they brought in all these high-priced guys that were older players, and Indy, we had... 
you know, a core group of younger players who were prospects for the Blackhawks. So um, I, I didn't get a chance to play the, into the American League until I was probably in my seventh year as a pro, I believe, or something like that. So at the time, it was kind of a reverse because I went into the American League when I was almost like a veteran player, and I went into the IHL, which was a, which was a veteran league as a rookie. Um, but the IHL was great. You know, I had, I had uh, Daryl uh, Dwayne Sutter my first year in Indy. Uh, he really gave me a great opportunity to play. You know, I was I was I was his style of player, um, and that really led to my success. Was I went in and worked hard. I did exactly what they wanted to do, and you know, got an opportunity to play the last twenty seven regular season games and six playoff games as a, as a rookie, basically. And that's invaluable experience. You talk about that it factor with your kids and other pro players' kids, that's the it factor. That's where you're learning those intangibles from, the playoffs. Totally, totally. I mean, you know, and I, I always say this, that I almost wish I could have been a coach before I played the game because coaching and seeing and learning from what I'm coaching these young players, I understand more about the game and, you know, where, why you should be doing things in a certain system that I, I guess I, I understood at the time, but it's, it's kind of weird because when you're teaching it, I think the expectation and the, and the learning curve of what these players should be doing, you expect it to be higher than it is. So I, I learned how to be a little more patient, not only as a, like, and I wish I would have been more patient as a player instead of, you know, go, you know, I was, I, I tell people that I was a very physical hard-working player and I wish that I had kind of like been able to take a step back sometimes and maybe you know not go on the floor check a million miles an hour and learn how to how to be more of a smarter like how to conserve energy a little bit more is maybe what I'm thinking yeah in terms of, of how, how what I teach players you smarter know, versus hard just because you're working hard doesn't mean you're working smart exactly and exactly. I think that's something that I really could have done a better job at as a player was to maybe work a little bit smarter. But, you know, as a young player in a third, fourth line role, you know what? You, 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 I have to work hard. I mean, I have to work hard. I have to work hard at college. I mean, it's just something that just is in me. I just work hard. And whether it's now in my job, I just, that to me is, is, is something that, you know, love it or hate it, that's just me. Yeah. You... I put my heart and soul into every single thing that I do. Yeah. It sounds like we have that in common. No matter, no matter. I think I think that sounds like where whether for me it's school, whether it's work, whether it's broadcasting. I I I have the same philosophy, Steve. Whatever you're doing, you're gonna throw a hundred and thirty eight percent of your energy into it because you you that's your work. You're proud of your work. A hundred percent, and and I think that's something that you know you often hear about you know pros that are maybe having a bad year. I'll use. Um, the player from Buffalo, I think it's Jeff Skinner. Yeah. So Jeff Skinner is an excellent player. Jeff Skinner just happened to have an off year this year, and he gets constantly ripped in the in the newspapers on social media, and like people might think that he doesn't care. He's making eight million dollars. Who cares? It's the exact opposite. Right. Like these guys are as proud as anybody in in any part of life. And my guess is Jeff Skinner next year in this offseason will work extra hard to prove that the money that Buffalo paid him was not a fluke. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, 
that's just that's just I think hockey players, you know, are just great people, and I think it's just a great sport um, for teaching life lessons. Whether you play college, pro, junior, whatever that is, you know, growing up, you play probably more of a high level hockey. Not saying that house league is is not. But it's just not the same level of commitment that these kids are making. Like my boys train basically twelve months a year. That's wow. what it is now. It's a twelve month commitment. And that's incredible. That's incredible. That so it, it tells you that the people who want to win, who want to play the game, are going to do it. And it almost takes the the wheat from the chaff, if you will. Yes. Yep. I agree a hundred percent. I think that's no matter what. You know, every player in the USHL, every player in North American League, every player playing AAA hockey, they, they all dream of playing in the NHL. The, you know, the reality is it probably won't happen. But until someone tells them that, you know, they're going to be, it's, it's like, as a player, as a young player, there's always someone out there to take your job, even as a veteran player. Mm-hmm. With the salary cap and everything that's going on in the NHL, like, you know, you're, you know, I laugh, like at 33 when I retired, I didn't want to retire, I had an injury, but like, I was really just coming into my own as a player. Today at 33, you're, you're like, no one wants you anymore. Because unless you're a superstar, you're out of the game because they need to bring in 18, 19, 20 year olds who are making $975,000, not veteran players that are in the millions. So the game has really changed. Like, I, I, at 23 years old, I think, honestly, other than, like, maybe Jeff Shantz and Sergei Krivokrasov, I was, like, one of the oldest players on the team. And those kids were 22. Like, it wasn't like I was, <laughs> you know, now. Now you have two, three players that are 19 and younger. Like the, the talent level is ridiculous these days. It, it really is, and that's that's so important when you're talking about it's the work ethic to keep yourself at your the highest and your best self. Because, like you said, there's it's that next man up mentality. If you're not going to perform, there's somebody willing to take your job. Agreed, and they know that, and that's my point. Get circling back is it's twelve months whether you're 30 years old or whether you're 18 years old or whether you're 15 years old. Here in Chicago, all these youth players skate all summer. They work with their trainers all summer. It is a full-time job. Yeah, it, it really is. It's, it's the, the, and you, you have to wonder how some of these kids balance the schoolwork with it as well. Agreed, agreed. It's, you know, it's, but, but it makes, it, it holds the guys, kids accountable. It does. Girls or boys, you have to get your work done, you have to get your school done. You know what I mean? If you have any chores at home, then you have hockey. And if it doesn't work, or one of, you, one of them is suffering, then you got to figure it out. Right, right. And I, I want to touch on your your career a little more, Steve. You know, you went through a lot of adversity in your career, uh, injury-wise. You know, you suffered an ACL injury in the 1990-2000 season and a serious concussion late in your career that ultimately forced you to retire. How did you use your resilience and aforementioned persistence to keep moving forward? Yeah, actually, I had a I had pretty much remained injury. Um, I didn't have an injury until I got to Calgary, actually. And I had, I, I hurt my shoulder in 
early 98, like about maybe a month and a half after I got traded there, I played all year with, with a torn labor in my right shoulder, in my left shoulder. And then when the season was over, I had surgery. So I came out of surgery, rehabbed all summer, went to Calgary in 99, tore my ACL in December of 99, had surgery, I think it was January, and then re-signed with the Hawks, I think it was in probably that summer. So, you know, I had a really tough stretch of a lot of rehab in a short period of time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it goes back to the, to the same thing. Like, you know... I'm 28, 29 years old, fifth, sixth year pro. I'm not ready to hang them up. And, you know, I worked really hard. I, I came back to the Hawks, ended up getting sent to the minors, got recalled, ended up getting traded to Nashville where I had a really, really great, uh, I think I played 26, 27 games. Yeah. played on a top line with some really good players, and I proved that I could score if – you know, if I was given the opportunity, and then I signed with St. Louis, ended up getting sent down at the end of camp with St. Louis when I really didn't expect that, got called up, and then finally found a role with St. Louis where we were just really doing well, and then unfortunately, uh, you know, kind of took a stick to the side of the head uh, on an accidental play and just never got back. So it was, uh, you know, looking back, obviously it was very disappointing, but, you know, with, with how my career kind of started with walking on and then getting drafted in the 11th round, you know, and then making the team out of camp. You know, I, I, I have no complaints about anything that regards to, you know, my playing career. And, and I'm thankful that I got that opportunity. Met some great people and, you know, still in youth hockey, still in the hockey world today with tournaments. But, I, you know, I love, I love connecting with former players who I played with against because of their kids and, you know, I'm fortunate I got to do, for 10 years, I got to do what I loved. And then the last, especially the last seven, eight years, my new, it was my business. I, I really love what I do and I wake up every day. And that, and that's so important, you know, you, having that give it your all mentality, no regrets. That's, that's so important. And it, and it sounds like, you know, you're, you're one of those guys who's like, you know, what, I'm going to put everything on the line and whatever happens, happens. And that's so that's that's magical in a certain way because you hear stories of people not just in hockey but in other walks of life man if i had done this differently if i had done that differently what would my life be like today correct yeah no i think i don't think there's i think people you know it's, it's hard it's hard today to be to be a young hockey player it's hard to be a hockey parent because there's so much social media there's some of that it's really hard you know and i i you know, I know this is such a cliche, but I think trusting the process is truly the best way to look at it because everybody's path is different. Yeah, it really, it really is. It really is. And just talk to talk to us about your life after professional hockey. You know, what have you been up to since your retirement? Well, when I first retired, I stayed in St. Louis and I started to do, you know, a couple different things. I worked with an agent, it's like a, almost like an advisory service out of Toronto called Cardinal Sports Group where I would help kids, you know, get junior and then college opportunities. So that lasted about a year and a half. Moved back to Chicago and then um, tried to like dabble in some different things outside of hockey, but it just kept on kicking me in the butt saying like, why are you fighting something that, got you to the you know the pinnacle of the sport and you love the sport so 
back when I moved back to Chicago, I opened up an off-ice training facility at the Glacier Ice Arena in, in Vernon Hills. And I worked on that for probably, you know, two to three years. We, then we decided to kind of merge it with the rink, so they kind of managed it. And then I got into the to what I'm doing now. I got into the uh, tournament showcase business, and, you know, I love what I do. And it's been fun to build a, pretty much a business from scratch. Um, yeah. No. So, uh, you know, it's 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 helped me. It really, it's, you know, it allows me to stay in hockey, you know, meet young families and, and be able to just have great tournaments with great teams and a lot of a lot of players that have gone on to be drafted and play in the National Hockey League and can, that will continue. Yeah, and that's and that's so important, you know. I love that that phrase that you said, you know, why are you fighting if hockey keeps calling you back, you know, you got to you got to follow the calling. Correct. Exactly. Um yeah. Yeah, that's you know, and I that's something that I think, you know, people have to understand that you know the, edu- the the education in the locker room and everything that I learned. It just it just drives you for the rest of your life. It just does. It really yeah. So um, it's something that you know I tell people all the time. If they ever have a chance to be coached by a former NHL player, please do so, because the knowledge, whether it's one game, whether it's a thousand games, whether it's the East Coast League, the American League, Europe, these these guys have so much knowledge to lend to the players. Yeah, they it's having having talked with some of the pro, uh, the pro guys that I work with, it I couldn't agree with you more, Steve. I really I really couldn't. Yeah, guys like Troy, I you know you've talked to Brent Sutter who obviously is, you know, great um, great he's done a great job in Red Deer since his retirement. Uh, just a quality guy, you know, funny story. My, my rookie year, he comes up to me. He's like, hey, Steve, you know, I, my, my sticks came in too short. Can you go out and find me a stick stretcher? <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, yeah, like there's a stretcher out there for wood because my sticks came in too short. I'm like, you know, hey, whatever you need, Pop. That was his nickname. So I'm like researching, asking everybody. And then finally, a couple of days later, he's like, you know, there's no such thing as a wood stretcher. <laughs> you know, so I learned that real quick. But, you know, just quality people. Um, you know, Blackhawks alumni, you know, Cliff and everybody that's still around, they, 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 do, they, they do a really good job taking care of their former players and uh, the Words family. So, you know, I, I don't get down to a lot of games because I'm mostly traveling, especially on the weekends to watch my boys and everything. But, you know, Blackhawks will always have a special place in my heart for sure. Yeah. Steve, before we head out today, is there anything else you want to say to our listeners in Chicago, U.S., Canada, and beyond? No, just you know, as a just as a former player, you know, I I, I think that today's just just youth hockey is has really changed so much, and like I said, the, the the biggest thing for any youth hockey player and parent is that every single player has a different path, and the biggest thing is don't compare yourself to other players. Because if I had compared to myself to other players when I was 14 years old playing Bantam A hockey, I would have never made it. So that's the biggest thing is, is you know, there, there's no, that's the beauty of hockey. There really is no one set path to the National Hockey League. 
No. You... Football, baseball, you play college. Basketball, you play college. Hockey, OHL, Western Hockey League, Quebec Major Junior League, USHL, North American League, Europe. I mean, it, it, there's just so many different ways for kids to get that and achieve their goals. But the reality is, you know, the chances of a player making the National Hockey League are so small that they need to really have realistic goals for themselves. That's what I would say is set realistic goals, get better every day, and eventually, you know, if you're good enough, they're going to find you. In hockey, the best players play, whether you're a first-rounder first or an 11th-rounder, as I call it. Yeah. Because I, I definitely, you know, beat the odds as an 11th-round pick. Um, but, you know, I worked hard. Anybody ask me why I made it, I, I tell them I worked harder than anybody else. I wanted it more than the guy sitting next to me. And that's and that and and wanting it more. That's that's a lesson not only for the ice, the locker room, the stands, but for life in general. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And I think that's like you said, hockey. It doesn't matter, like whether you're a dentist, a lawyer, an accountant. You know, you you're going to be accountable to somebody. Maybe it's yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you're accountable to yourself, then I think you're going to have success. Yeah. Being accountable to oneself, a lesson on the ice and off the ice. Steve Dibinski, formerly of the Chicago Blackhawks. Steve, thank you so much for the time. Thank you, Frank. All the best.